Please turn with me now to the Gospel of John, John chapter 12, verses 36 through 50. You can find that on pages 899 and 900 in the Bibles around you. Have you ever heard anyone say to you, well, that's just your perspective. That's your truth. Our beliefs are often minimized, limited, and boxed into a category by others who disagree with us. What we have to say gets labeled as a certain narrow perspective. If we're Hispanic, our beliefs are boxed into a Hispanic perspective. If we're white, our beliefs are boxed into a white perspective. Same thing if we're black or Asian or any other ethnicity. If we're rich, our beliefs are boxed into a limited upper class perspective. If we're middle class or lower class, our perspective is limited by others to just that perspective. If we're male, we have a male perspective. If we're female, a female perspective. Whatever political party we vote for then becomes the box that our perspective is limited to. It is the spirit of this age to view no one as having a perspective that sees above all other perspectives. No one has ultimate truth, and so truth is subjective and relative. That is the spirit of our times. Jesus, however, came from heaven, from the Father's side, to bring to all mankind the only transcendent, all-knowing, all-seeing perspective. He spoke not from a political perspective, not from a poor socioeconomic perspective, not from a male perspective, not from a middle-aged adult perspective, not from a carpenter's perspective, not from a Jewish rabbi perspective, not from a Middle Eastern perspective. Jesus spoke from the perspective above all perspectives. He spoke as the Son of God who spoke the very words of God the Father. And as God, He sees all. And so He knows what is true and what everyone needs to hear. He speaks with authority and relevance to all people from every part of the globe for all time. We all need God's everlasting truth. And that is what Jesus brings us in the Bible. And so as I, as I preach today, my goal is not to just merely give you my perspective, uh, my, uh, um, yeah, I'm, my white uh, married with young children, middle class, millennial, uh, Minnesotan, conservative, Presbyterian, able-bodied right hand, typey personality, love Lord of the Rings, that perspective, whatever male, whatever other box I fit in. Pastor Chris and I, we come every week as ministers, not of our word, but ministers of the word of Jesus Christ, ministers of the word of God. Today, as I preach God's word, I pray that I'll do just that. To give you God's perspective on all of reality. His perspective is what we all need. No matter what boxes people put us in. 
And His Holy Spirit can apply His Word to any of our lives and to every aspect of our lives, no matter what categories people put us in. So praise God for giving us His Word so that no matter who we are, no matter what experiences we've had, we can know the truth. And we can all be united together and be of the same mind. God's Word's amazing. So let's come now to the Word of God and hear from Him. So read with me John chapter 12, verses 36 through 50, starting in the middle of verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The Word of God. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that we're not left in the darkness of our own limited perspectives, but that you have shared with us what is true. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to believe this. We ask that you would open deaf ears, open blinded eyes, soften hardened hearts, so that we can all believe you and follow after you. Show us Christ. Show us the glory of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage we just read uh, closes out the first major section of John's Gospel, uh, of Jesus' public ministry to the Jews. The first 12 chapters of John have been called the Book of Signs because it highlights seven miracles of Jesus. We'll be taking a, a, a break from the Gospel of John for the summer to, uh, to preach on some of the Proverbs. And then in the fall, uh, we'll come back together, we'll return and, and begin John's next major section, which has been called the Book of the Passion, which refers to the sufferings of Christ. 
So these are the last words of Jesus' public ministry before he goes in private to be with his disciples before he's then betrayed and arrested. So with last public words, there is a significant, uh, a particular weight to it. As we think about what Jesus has done and taught so far in the book of John, the question I want to ask everyone, the question I want each person to be thinking about here is this. How will you respond to the works and words of Christ? How will you respond? Will you receive him or will you reject him? There are only two options. Jesus doesn't give us a middle ground. Will you receive his works and his words, or will you turn away from them? Let's walk through this passage now. It has two major sections, verses 36 through 43, uh, where we'll see a couple examples of Jews rejecting Jesus. And then in verses 44 through 50, where we will hear Jesus proclaim the final message of his public ministry to the Jews and, and his call for people to receive and believe in him. So let's start with that first section, verses 36 through 43, and let's consider a couple examples of those who rejected Christ. Look with me, starting at the middle of verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Jesus hid himself from the crowds that had come for the feast of the Passover. Now, he, he often hid himself from crowds. Um, this was something that he occasionally did. Uh, sometimes he did this at times to be uh, alone with his father in prayer. And other times he, he did it in order to focus on other important aspects of ministry with his disciples. In this particular case, Jesus very, uh, may very well have been uh, hiding himself uh, from the crowds because he knew that the Jewish authorities right next door, the Jewish authorities are seeking to find him and kill him. And news from this uh, large crowd uh, would, um, uh, would obviously, the, the news about his whereabouts would certainly spread to the Sanhedrin. Jesus would only die when his time had come. And while that hour was coming soon, Jesus uh, had a few more days left of some very important ministry and teaching. In verse 37, we see this, this uh, shocking summary of, of uh, Jesus' ministry. That although, although Jesus had done so many signs, so many miracles over the past two and a half to three years of ministry, from feeding thousands of people to making the lame walk, to giving sight to the blind, casting out demons, even raising people from the dead, although Jesus did all of these miracles, people still did not believe in him. This is the first example of rejection. It is an outright rejection of Christ. Although people saw Jesus face to face and they saw with their own eyes uh, the, the greatest miracles ever performed, they still did not believe in him. So was Jesus' ministry to the Jews a failure? Jesus was the Jews' long-awaited Messiah, but the vast majority of them rejected him. John 1.11 says, He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. So did Jesus fail? Was his mission a flop? No. This rejection of the Messiah was a part of God's 
plan. Jesus knew it would happen and that it must happen. Jesus needed to be rejected by the Jews so that he would be crucified. He could not save anyone apart from dying for them. This is the first example of rejection, an outright refusal to accept Jesus for who he said he is and and for who the miracles testify him to be. John gives a second example of rejection in verses 42 and 43. And it's different from the first. It says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Many Jewish Rulers and leaders believed in Jesus, but only in a superficial sense. Their faith was shallow. These authorities are like those in Jesus' parable of the sower, who have hearts like rocky soil. Jesus describes the soil in Luke 8. When they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing... They fall away. In time of testing, they fall away. In Luke 8, Jesus uses the word believe, although it is not a saving faith, but a shallow, superficial, fake faith. Many, maybe, maybe these authorities believed uh, all the evidence that Jesus was the Messiah, but they did not yet trust Jesus as their Savior. They didn't see their need for him. They didn't see their sin. Perhaps it was all head knowledge for them. Their faith was tested by the threat of being kicked out of the synagogue by the Pharisees. And because their fear of man was greater than their faith in Christ, their faith failed the test and withered. Verse 43 reveals their heart's motivation for rejecting Jesus. They loved the glory or the praise of man more than the glory or praise that comes from God. It's that simple. They, they feared man more than they feared God. They loved what comes from man more than what comes from God. We can all relate to the fear of man, can't we? How enticing is the praise and approval of man, of others, to you? Do you find yourself... Fearing what others think of you? Do you cross moral boundaries to please other people? Do you compare yourself with the rich, with the famous, with the beautiful, the brilliant, the athletic, the accomplished? Are you afraid of the the poor, the sick, the unpopular, the needy, the guilty? Do you think that spending time with them is is just a waste of your time? Children and teenagers here. Do you avoid certain kids at school because you'll be looked down on? You're afraid that if you associate with them, then the in crowd, the more popular kids are going to look down on you? I was guilty of that in high school. 
I went to Watertown Mayor High School, and, and there was a Christian guy in my grade who went to a different church, and, and he was made fun of in some pretty brutal ways. I, I, I would talk with him occasionally, but I didn't try to get to know him. I didn't know until later that he had a genuine faith in Christ, and, and I could have been encouraged by having a brother in Christ in my grade instead of just being alone in my faith. I gave in to the fear of my peers instead of loving my brother in Christ, and I missed an opportunity to be encouraged, but then also to encourage a brother who was quite lonely throughout high school. So the fear of man is common to us all. We need to see how it affects us and how it affects other people. We need to be on guard for when it, it tempts us to, to deny Christ. It tempts us to, to live like an unbeliever instead of a follower of Christ. We must be ready to be rejected by our friends, our family, our co-workers, just as Christ was rejected. A servant is not greater than his master. So who are we to think that we're greater than our master and we, we don't deserve to be rejected by others? So John gives two examples of people who rejected Jesus, both in a little bit different ways. Next in verses 38 through 41, John answers the question, why do the Jews reject Jesus? Why? What, what could explain such a hard-hearted response to such great miracles and profound teaching? Why? John says, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. In order to explain why the Jewish crowds didn't believe in Jesus, John turns to two prophecies from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 and Isaiah chapter 6. And they are profound. In the first quote from Isaiah 53 Verse 1, John is showing that Jesus is the suffering servant prophesied about in Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, a few verses later, it says that this servant was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. It was prophesied by Isaiah here that the Messiah would suffer. He would be despised and rejected by men, not immediately recognized as the Messiah and embraced. Furthermore, John's quote from Isaiah 53, verse 1, The Lord who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the Lord, arm of the Lord been revealed, this quote should be interpreted as someone, in a sense, looking around, and not seeing people believe in the Messiah, not having him be revealed to them, and in essence asking God, where are these people? Who has believed? 
Have any? Who has God revealed the Messiah to? Anyone? And so we see from this prophecy that the Jewish people, by and large, rejected Jesus because it was prophesied to happen. It was God's plan. And furthermore, they rejected him because he did not reveal Christ to them. John says, therefore, they could not believe. They expected a warrior king who would, uh, for a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman Empire and, and give Israel their independence. But instead, their Messiah came as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, with no form or beauty or majesty. They wanted a lion, but God gave them a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. John then moves from Isaiah 53 to Isaiah 6. And here we see that John is comparing the rejection of Jesus' message by the Israelites of his day to the rejection of Isaiah's message by the Israelites in his day, 700 years before Christ. In both cases, the word of God is rejected by God's people. And the reason for this rejection is because God, in his sovereignty, blinded their spiritual eyes and hardened their hearts. This can be tough to understand. This is heavy stuff. J.C. Ryle said of this passage, God has had given over the Jews to judicial blindness as a punishment for their long-continued and obstinate rejection of his warnings. So God wasn't blinding and hardening people who were genuinely worshiping and, and obeying him. No, these were people who were immersed long-term in, into idolatry and law-breaking, spiritual adultery. What about you? What's the heart condition? What's your heart condition? What's, what's the condition of your spiritual senses? Do you have deaf ears? Someone whose ears are spiritually deaf, when, when they hear the words of Christ, they don't believe in them. They don't agree with it. They don't, these are words they don't like. Someone with spiritually deaf ears doesn't, doesn't hear anything life-giving in the words of Christ. The Bible's boring. It's a burden. Reading the Bible or listening to a sermon is a chore. Now, if that describes you, and if that, if that disturbs you, if that unsettles you, then recognize this is sin in your life and confess it to God and ask God to open your ears. How about your spiritual eyes? Do you have spiritually blind eyes? Can you, like Isaiah, see the glory of Christ? Do you know and see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus? Or is Jesus just another person? Just another long-dead religious leader? If that describes you and if that's leaving you unsettled, if you sense the Holy Spirit convicting you, then confess your sin to God. And perhaps pray the prayer of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. He cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Or perhaps you could 
pray the prayer of, of, of David after he prayed, after he, he had committed adultery and murder. And so then in Psalm 51, he confesses his sin saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When we cry out to God like that, the Lord will hear you and heal you. But if you choose to continue to reject Jesus, be warned from this passage by what, of what that means. In John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come into this world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. What Jesus implies here is that if you don't believe in him and continue to reject him, you will remain in darkness. You won't know where you are. You won't know where you're going. You won't know who you are. And you won't know what your condition is before God. You will be a slave to your blind perspective. You will not see reality for how it really is as God sees it. Jesus also warns in verses 47 and 48, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. To reject Jesus' words is to remain under the judgment of his words. When Jesus first came, he didn't come to judge the world, but he came to save the world. But he is coming again soon. And on that day, he will be the great judge that everyone from all of history will have to stand before and give an account to. If you reject Jesus' words now, his words will judge you on that day. So while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus ends his public ministry to the Jews, not with judgment and condemnation, but with a free offer of himself and of eternal life to all. We see this in the final paragraph, verses 44 through 50. In these verses, we see what it means for us if we will receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Verse 44 says that Jesus cried out when he said these words. We don't get a context for these words. We just see that Jesus proclaimed these words with great passion. Leon Morris said of this proclamation, It's interesting to notice that in this brief concluding section, some of the most important things that run right through this gospel find expression. Faith. Jesus as the one sent by the Father. Light and darkness. Judgment now and at the last day. Eternal life. All are caught up in this final summary and appeal. So some of the most important themes of Jesus' teaching in this gospel show up here in this final public appeal. Jesus is summarizing everything that he's, he's taught thus far. So what does it mean to receive Jesus wholeheartedly? First we see in verses 44 through 45 that to receive Jesus is to believe in Jesus 
and to see him as he truly is. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Second, we also see in these verses that to receive Jesus is to receive the Father who sent him. They are one. Jesus is the only way to the Father. So when you receive him, you receive the Father. Third, we see in verse 46 that to receive Jesus is to, is to leave the darkness and to walk in the light. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. When you believe in Jesus, you can see the glory of Christ. You can see where you are and who you are and where you're going. You can see that you need Jesus. And you can see the world for what it is. You can see your neighbor for who they are and have compassion towards them and, and the love of Christ for them. You can see what is holy, true, good, beautiful. You have the perspective of God when you view reality. You aren't just boxed into your own limited categories. Fourth, we see in verse 47 that to receive Jesus is to be saved. He came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And it's through faith in Him that we are saved not only from sin, but also saved from slavery to Satan. Fifth, we see here in verses 47 through 50 that to receive Jesus is to receive His words, which are the Father's words. He says in verse 50, What I say, therefore I say as the Father has told me. Jesus' message was the Father's message. Jesus' truth is the Father's truth. Jesus' perspective is the Father's perspective. They are of one mind. And Jesus perfectly articulated the message of the Father to the world. And so, if you're new to following Jesus Christ, then give yourself to reading His Word, His Bible, and to, and to hearing His Word preached and taught. Give yourself to it. Hear from Jesus himself. And sixth, in verse 50, we see that to receive Jesus is to receive eternal life. Jesus says, And I know that his commandment is eternal life. There is eternal life for those who receive Jesus. His works and his words, his miracles and his teachings... His perfect life, His atoning death, His victorious resurrection, and His everlasting reign. Will you receive Jesus? Receive Him today before it's too late. As Pastor Chris mentioned earlier, Tim Keller, who is an author and a PCA pastor, he, he passed away into glory on Friday some of his last words were this there is no downside for me leaving not in the slightest there is no downside for me leaving not in the slightest these are the words of a man who was eager to leave behind all the glory that this world has to offer 
and to receive the everlasting glory that comes from God. Do you want that peace and that hope on your deathbed? Only Jesus can offer that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have given us and you've given us truth. Us, the people who have walked in darkness, have seen a great light, the light of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to work in our hearts, that you will be received in faith, that people will move from living in darkness to walking in the light. Help us, Lord, to share your light to the rest of the world, to share your gospel, to share this good news to others. And may they see the glory of Jesus Christ and be transformed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.